Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. My name is Bryant Ott. I go by Creighton Otter on whiteandbluereview.com. And this is WBR's weekly-ish podcast. Right, Matt? Right, Joey? We try to get in here on a weekly basis, and we'll be doing that more and more now that we are officially in the 2017-2018 academic uh, athletic year calendar for the Creighton Blue Jays. Uh, I guess happy season to you gentlemen. Thanks for joining the podcast tonight. Yeah, it's good to be back. Everything's everything's rocking and rolling. All three sports ready to go. It's the uh, the time of the year that I think is – easiest because when october starts and all five sports start going together then it's absolute just madness so right at least we get to get our feet wet plus fall baseball so yeah <laughs> Speaking of fall, there's some there's some news coming about fall baseball that i can't say right now but oh wow that's yeah. wow you're gonna you're gonna do that in the first that's five it. minutes of the show I, it, you brought up baseball I was, Damn. I was not expecting baseball at all but you brought it up so Okay. All I'm saying is there's news that's coming. That's all I'm saying. All right. That sounds good. Uh, Joey, you're here. Joey Tempo, recruiting expert, soccer expert, um, all-around great guy. Matt DeMarinas on the show, as usual, the the cornerstone of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Matt, you were able to score a feature interview this week with Creighton Volleyball Standouts, Jaylee Winters, and – Megan Ballinger. Um, so that'll be coming up later in the show. Volleyball, big news for Coach Booth's team. Preseason top 10. That is just, I know that they're really good. And I know that the last couple of years have been exceptional. Five plus years have been exceptional. But like, I don't know, I say this every time we have the podcast, but that doesn't resonate very easily in my brain considering the first Creighton volleyball match I went to is at South High School and they were just getting run off the court and it was I didn't know any better you know I mean that was my first collegiate volleyball match but uh quite a pinnacle here I mean I know that you have to go out and prove it Matt but preseason number nine in the polls a couple spots away from the other in-state team uh, what was the atmosphere like around uh, Sokol Arena this week during Media Day and and um, really in these weeks leading up to a, a season with really high expectations? Well, first of all, not to derail your segue there, but this gives me a chance to bring up a conversation we've had on this podcast before. Um, you know, you see Creighton Volleyball coming in at number nine and you see Creighton Men's Soccer coming in at 14 in the preseason rankings. Yeah. And it goes back to our old discussion of which team do you believe, <laughs> right? Which team do you believe is, as you say, Creighton's uh, best hope to win a national title? You know, in any sport this sure. season. So yeah. So how do you feel about it? Seeing what Creighton has coming back on the volleyball court, um, knowing what we know about you know both situations, and then seeing where Creighton is ranked right now. Uh, can I say, I'll say fall baseball. <laughs> I, was just kidding. Fall baseball. Uh, I don't know. Like if I can ever figure out who's going to be on the Creighton so- men's soccer roster, maybe it'll help me out a little bit more. And that's why Joey's on tonight. I think it sounds like we're maybe waiting for a few last pieces to fall into place, but, um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's a really good question. I- I'll, how about I will 
hang up and listen while you tell me why it should be the volleyball team. Okay, that's okay. fair. Um, yeah, I mean, basically you've got the whole roster back except for Lauren Smith, who was an exceptional volleyball player in her career at Creighton. Um, that's, that's no small departure. Uh, Jess Bird and Amanda Foji are also the other seniors that um, graduated last year. So you've got your, you know, Jaylee Winters, Taryn Cloth, um, Brittany Witt were all international Team USA players this this past summer, along with Jacqueline Taylor, who um, was on a Team Midwest out in Europe where Jaylee was playing and actually won every match she played in, except for the two times she faced Jaylee's team. So, um, so you got four international volleyball players that are back, and one of those is the backup setter because <laughs> the setter that's returning is the reigning Big East Player of the Year and the current preseason Player of the Year in the conference and the third-team All-American from last year. So she's back at center. That's like your quarterback of your roster right there. Um, she looks in – and Lydia Dimke looks in great shape too. She's, she looks a lot more athletic than she did last year, I think. The team as a whole looks really sharp because of how much they have returning. They kind of just – this is only their first week of practice, but they look – like they're in their second or third week to me because there's not much of a learning curve with a group that's played together for so long hmm. and everybody seems healthy. Um, there wasn't anybody non-participants in practice. The only bit of news that was a little surprising on the first day was that uh, incoming freshman from Papillion, uh, Steph Gaston, or I think it's Gaston. Yeah, it's Gaston. It's because she isn't like the Beauty and the Beast character. Right. So it's, it's Steph Gaston. Was a six foot five outside hitter from Papillion, um, just decided she didn't want to play volleyball anymore, um, kind of at the 11th hour. And um, so they kind of lost a, a piece of their incoming class um, there, but they still have, you know, they still have the defensive specialist in Alexa Romeliotis. Um, that was kind of a late commit to the class. And Naomi Hickman, who's, probably going to fit into that Lauren Smith role as middle blocker. Um, really tall, taller than Lauren. More athletic than Lauren was at this stage of her career, certainly. And uh, that's basically the only two new pieces they have to fill into this roster. So it's really all, all you know, everybody's all firing all cylinders so far because of how much they have returning. So that's your, that's your, uh, first entree into the Creighton Volleyball for National Championship uh, argument, right? They, they, well, come, they come off they come off their best season in school history. They lose some great players. Like you said, don't get you wrong, but there's not a ton right. of turnover in that roster now, and um, they look loaded and ready to go. So they, lo- they lost a lot more off of the first team that went to the Sweet 16 back in sure. 2015. They lost sure. a lot more off of that group. So there were a lot more questions. I had a lot more questions at this point in the year about the 2016 roster mm-hmm. than I do about the 2017 one. And the 2016 roster obviously went to the Elite Eight. So, um, and they played their best. They were playing their best volleyball at the end of the year. They weren't exactly as healthy as they probably wanted to be. Megan Ballinger was a key piece that was obviously banged up. Mm-hmm. And so who knows what happens if she's 100%. I mean, Texas was obviously on fire that day compared to the day before when they almost lost to BYU. But, um, you know, I think we're going to find out because 
the other thing that comes with the recent release of the top 25 rankings was you get to see how many teams are actually ranked that Creighton's going to play this year. Yeah. So they have, I believe, 12 non-conference matches, if I'm not mistaken, or if I'm counting the Kansas State exhibition. So 12 matches, and nine of them are against teams that are ranked in the top 36, wow. I believe is how far it goes. So you've got Washington the first weekend, who's ranked number three. So you're going to get nine versus three on Saturday, August 26th at like 9 p.m. Um, so that's going to be a outstanding litmus test for this for these Blue Jays. Washington was, I believe, an Elite Eight team that lost to Nebraska to go to the Final Four last year. Mm-hmm. And Jay Lee played with Jay Lee played with uh, Courtney Schwan, who's the reigning Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, he's going to be a senior for Washington. Played with her on the um, overseas in Europe this summer. So. It was kind of interesting that she, you know, it's kind of interesting because Jacqueline Taylor was splitting time at center with the pit setter, who Creighton is also going to play in the first weekend. And then Jaylee Winters was splitting time with hmm. Courtney Schwann, who she's going to play the first weekend, too. So they kind of got to see their opponents a little early. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kansas, they're going out to Lawrence, Kansas, to play the Jayhawks, who are ranked eighth. Um, Purdue is going to be in that tournament. They're 25th. I mean, the schedule is just loaded. USC and Kentucky and Northern Iowa, who isn't one of the ranked teams, but is still really good. Is right, coming they're always to, there, right? Yeah, I mean, they're they're you know fringe top twenty-five, usually top forty team for sure. Um, that's going to be your Creighton Classic or Blue Jay Invitational. Um, those three those three matches will be what the Omaha fans get to see. Yeah. And the season tickets are up this year. The season—they're not done selling them, first of all, and they've already sold more season tickets for this year's team for this year's schedule than they did than they averaged in fans at home last year. Ah, that's amazing. So, I mean, so that's—it's already up above that in season tickets alone. So, and we still have you know two and a half weeks before the season starts, and about three and a half weeks before the first home match. So. Yeah, there's a lot of momentum around this volleyball team right now. And, you know, you got you got the Final Four in Kansas City, which is, you know, it kind of like is this kind of fate, you know, running the Blue Jays into a, you know, into a Final Four venue that's close to home, kind of like the men's soccer team had a couple of years ago. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Creighton know. fans were ready to just, I mean, Creighton fans were ready to just invade KC. We had our tickets. Exactly. I feel like Joey was already like halfway down the interstate during <laughs> we, the Akron game. We were. If not for school not for school and work, we were down there. But I know there was hundred or you know, fifty, hundred Creighton fans that already that went down despite uh, the fact that we weren't right. even there. We're probably the only then, fan base that went. It was only three hundred people there and I think uh one six of them was Creighton fans, so we'll never get it back in KC after that turnout. Nope. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of momentum, and then, and then there's also some outside factors that could play into this being a favorable year. And if Creighton does well in the non-conference, where, you know, if they, if they don't do well in the non-conference, they're almost going to lose every match that they need to win to host. So if they, if they, even if they go 500 again like they did last year, you know, let's say they come out of that six and six again, there's going to be a lot more quality wins in that six and six than there were in last year's schedule, just because it's more difficult. Mm-hmm. So you'd think. That if they do what they did, even if they do what they did last year in the non-conference, where they come out of it 500, and if they roll through the Big East again, which you you don't say that stuff's guaranteed, you say that's exceptional. But Jaylee Winters and Taryn Cloth and that sophomore class have only lost one Big East match their entire careers. That's awesome. One, 
<laughs> and it was a five-setter on the road that was controversial. They still remember the the play that decided it, and they don't think it was fair. So, like, they still are – they still have animosity for that one result that got away from them. So, think about that. I mean, just how close they are to being perfect for their careers in the Big East. Um, I mean, it just seems like all the stars are kind of aligning. And, you know, with it being in Kansas City, I'm sure a lot of Creighton fans are prepared to go down there. I know they're ready to go down there in November for men's basketball. So, yeah. you know, it kind of seems like Creighton fans have an opportunity to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving down in Kansas City if they like. So, not to – like, you're you're persuading a lot of our listeners to take your side in the argument. I haven't chosen my direction yet. I'll let Joey fuel that fire for me here in a couple minutes. But – from where you sit now and what you know about this roster, you've followed this team more closely than any local media member uh, around. What would prevent them from, I mean, you're never going to say like, we're going to the final four, right? I mean, there's like a small percentage of a small number of volleyball programs in the country that realistically year in and year out, that is probably not only their goal, but a more than realistic one. Um, by track record and recruiting levels. Uh, what would keep them from achieving this team's uh, ceiling, I guess? So if you go back to last year, you say Creighton made the Elite Eight and they have a lot of people back, okay? So what would prevent them from taking the next step? Well, the Elite Eight run featured three five-set matches that they won on their way to the Elite Eight. They had to win a five-setter against one in Iowa, they had to win a five-setter in Lawrence. And they had to win a five-setter in Austin against Michigan to get to the Elite Eight. So those those you know five-setters can go either way, especially when you get to that fifth set where it's only the fifteen. You know the first it's almost like the first run decides them decides the set, and then you're playing catch up the whole way after that. You know it's really hard to recover. In fact, BYU had Texas beat twice, and it was kind of like astonishing to see them blow that because in that fifth set they were up by I think they were up twelve to seven. So that's a five point. They need, you know, they need three points to win, and they're up by five. That's a big margin in a fifth set. Hmm. And then for Texas to come back, and then even after that, BYU had still had two or three more match points that they couldn't finish out. So it was pretty, you know, you don't see teams climb out of five set holes very often. So Creighton's run in the Elite Eight, while it was very impressive, and you know, certainly deserve a lot of credit for getting that done in a tough draw. You know, against Kansas, against a good Michigan team, against a good Northern Iowa team, there is that sort of, well, this could have gone either way based on, you know, one call here, one call there. There wasn't any replay in Lawrence, for instance. Mm-hmm. And Northern Iowa had a ball that went, you know, down the line that was called out that they thought was in, but there's no replay, so it was hard to, you know, decide which way it was going to go. But that was, a you know, a, a deciding factor. So you never know which way it's going to go. I mean, a volleyball match, you know, once you lose momentum, it's hard to get it back when the other team's rolling. So that, that's that's the part of it where I'd say, yeah, Creighton might even might actually not even get past the first round this year just because that's the way volleyball goes. Right. You know, so we saw that they went down to Topeka with a good team and um, kind of had their sights set on Kansas and lost to Oregon State. So, I mean, you know, you just never know the way it's going to go. Um but this year, like I said, if, if they if they manage to get that host spot and they're playing in Omaha, that will be a big step in, you know, in comfort at least because they'll be playing at home where they're really hard to beat um, with a fan base that seems to be building 
momentum behind this group. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at the season ticket numbers, when you look at their attendance numbers that have been climbing, there's a lot of positive momentum. But, you know, if I will to caution anybody to say that the Final Four isn't a foregone conclusion, which I don't think I should. It's, it's like the same thing where I say Summer League stats, and everybody's like, yeah, it's Summer League. I say that every year. It is Summer League, but it's still stats. That doesn't mean like, that Kyrie Thomas isn't yeah. a badass. I mean, right. you know. It's still the reality of what happened. I don't, I right. don't have to say Kyrie scored 56, but Summer League disclaimer every tweet I'd make. You know what I mean? So, yeah, Creighton has a Final Four ceiling. But, yeah, the floor is an NCAA tournament one and done for sure. I mean, we've seen that before. That's sure. just the way the tournament goes. But, but I mean, it, it, feel, it feels like like this is the year that uh, Booth Berntho, uh, Berntho Booth was like targeting to make this run. You know, it seems like last year McDermott was trying to build his roster for a run last year with, you know, with all the seniors and, and whatnot, and it obviously derailed. But it, it seems like this is the year that when – you know, Booth was looking at her schedule and where the Final Four was. She was targeting a big run this year. It just feels like that was the kind of the mindset and building the roster and the players that she was grabbing and the experiences that she was, you know, trying to make happen for them during the summer. So it just feels like she's got these people, you know, the, the girls rolling on all cylinders. And, and this is kind of the year that they're going to try to make their statement. You know, they would have loved to have made it last year, obviously, to the Final Four. Um, but it just feels like they've been building up to this point, and this is the time when they have to make it a reality. Um, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. It, you know, when you look at what they lose off of this year's group, not to, I mean, we're jumping way far ahead now, but yeah. when you look at what's not coming back for next year, as far as to kind of support your point that they are building towards this season, you know, Lydia Timke graduates, Marissa Wilkinson graduates, Kenzie Crawford graduates. Um, those are probably, first of all, just beside the positions they play, they're probably three of the top defensive players on, on the team. Uh, Brittany Witt would probably be in that group as well, but she's only a sophomore. So those are probably the three of the best defenders on the team. Um, and then when you look at Demke's a setter, that's a key position. And you look at Marissa Wilkinson and the strides that she's made to become an impact player that still gets overlooked. She was not on any of the preseason teams for the Big East this year, which just stuns me because I feel like she's – I feel like if she weren't on Creighton, she'd be somebody else's best player. Like that's how I – that's how – hard this kid works that's how good she is that's how much of a tone setter she is hmm. i mean great i asked booth flat i was kirsten booth and I both flat out the other day if marissa wilkinson is half as productive as she was in the NCAA tournament last year like cut her numbers in half across the board do you get to austin and she almost looked at me like i was crazy for asking her that and she <laughs> said no i mean it's just the kid stepped up i mean she just played another level she's the reason they got as far as they did because jaylee was obviously jaylee but Marissa's numbers almost, you know, almost doubled across the board in her production for the season. And then she gets left off of the Big East team. It's like, well, I know you can't put all the Creighton players on there, but it's like a little <laughs> mini, a pretty big one. I don't know, man. We, so, could gear for, we could gear up for that in the postseason awards. That'd be something. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. So, like, yeah, the 2018 class, I've heard really good things about um, Jayla Zimmerman, Keely Davis, who's come on uh, – Carrie Zumach, who's the uh, younger sister of the Kansas State stud who won Big 12 Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago. They're coming. That's that's a pretty loaded class. Um, the coaching staff feels pretty positive about it. They feel like that's a class they compare to the J.D. Winners, Taryn Cloth, Megan Ballinger class. Ooh, they feel like they're, they're that. They're not saying something. Players, I know. They're not Are they all from players. Ankeny, though? No, they're not all they from Ankeny. That's why I don't believe them. Like, well, they're not from Ankeny, so they're not good. They should be. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, they feel pretty positive about that class, not only in their talent, but their makeup, kind of their competitive drive and things like that. They feel so, you know, they will have some talent coming in, but obviously they're going to lose a lot of experience and a lot of ability off this group. So that's why this group feels like the one that if it's, is probably going to set a new bar if any new bar is going to get set in the next two seasons. All right. I'm going to make a hard turn down the short walkway from the Sokol Arena to Morrison Stadium, Fort Morrison. Joey, what is going on with this men's soccer program? What are we going to see Saturday night? Who are we going to see Saturday night? What are we looking for? How are we going to know? Not necessarily Saturday, but in the first couple weeks of the season, exhibition or not, what this team's all about. So to kind of preface uh, Creighton's soccer schedule this year and really college soccer in general, the the, the whole landscape of, of soccer is really kind of undergoing a metamorphosis right now. You're not seeing very many high school kids uh, inundated into big time programs. Um, you're seeing a lot of the more talented American kids uh, being bought up by uh, MLS teams or MLS programs or heading abroad. And so what college soccer is, you know, continuing to be uh, infused with is foreign players, which makes college soccer interesting and great. It's got different flavor, um, but it's incredibly tough to predict year to year um, because you could go over to Europe and find kids in Europe or uh, Africa or Latin America who are 22, 23 years old, uh, just about to finish up their education, you know, and get these, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, mercenary players for one year who are excellent, you know, uh, professional prospects, and then uh, completely shift what uh, a team or a conference will look like. So, so college soccer, you know, is is definitely different than it was five years ago because you're just not going to have guys rise up from freshmen uh, into seniors. You're just having a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know, two and done, one and done type. Uh, you know, foreign or even American transfer players it's all okay heading to the top uh, you know, me 15 or so programs, which is good for which is good for Creighton because Creighton is one of those top 10, top 15 perennial programs uh, that uh, is is when you're when you're a top foreign player and you're looking to come over and make a mark on college soccer to get an MLS or um, you know a foreign offer as a professional. Uh, Creighton's a school that's seen as a Kentucky or a blue blood uh, program, and so. Creighton's obviously at the top of the list for a lot of the, um, the better kids uh, coming in. And then you couple that with uh, uh, Coach Bolovich and his reputation and his connections within Europe. And you have kind of a perfect storm for Creighton uh, being able to uh, capture some of the better players um, that nobody in America has heard of, uh, nobody in the NCAA you know, soccer landscape has heard of, which is exciting. However, uh, you can run into problems uh, – grabbing players like that because uh, they have to qualify through the NCAA. And much like some of the uh, European basketball players coming in, uh, there's issues of uh, eligibility with amateurism or eligibility with, uh, you know, having taken pro money or, or played on pro teams um, because lots of players, uh, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old uh, are playing in professional environments for professional teams. And they can still be considered a student or an amateur over there, yet they're on the professional roster and traveling with the team. So it gets really hairy uh, when it comes to the NCAA. And that's what Creighton's been 
the last couple months was, uh, you know, finalizing with the NCAA their recruiting class. And to this date, uh, you know, August 10th, we still do not have an official release for Creighton's recruiting class. You know, I've been uh, inquiring about that. And I know Matt and I have been talking about it lots during the summer. And I know the names of the players uh, that Creighton has uh, brought over uh, to Great. play. Uh, five or six are European. Uh, but at the moment, uh, there, some are still undergoing NCAA or the rigors of those investigations. And investigation sounds bad, but you know, just their 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 eligibility through the NCAA are still in question, and uh, one uh, has been denied so far. And so mm-hmm. that throws a that throws soccer for a loop a little bit because you're expecting, and I'm not going to name names or positions, but you're expecting players to come in and contribute heavily. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden in August, uh, learn that that's not going to happen. Uh, it, it can't do anything but, you know, you know, just, you know, keep these coaches up at night. So that's, that's difficult. Um, but back kind of to the point of the college soccer landscape, if we're talking about teams that were built to make runs, uh, you know, this team might not have a single talented player like Fabian Herbers or, or Ethan Finley, uh, like some of those past teams. But, but the, you know, the 2013, I think it was, Recruiting our 2014 recruiting class of uh, Ricky Lopez, Espen, Lucas Stoffer, Noah Frankie, uh, Mitch Legro, who's redshirted, but that's the same kind of class. Um, that that class was was a cornerstone of the Creighton program, even from day one. A lot of those players came in and contributed, and now as uh, seniors this fall, um, Creighton's been working this roster uh, to supplement those four specifically and, and make a title challenge. And, and so uh, with, with Lopez Espin and, and Stoffer, Frankie and Legro, um, you got a nice foundation and they've been, at, you know, they've added pieces like Joel Rydstrand, who's going to start in the midfield for them. Uh, Peter Prescott has joined uh, Legro in the, the center defense. Um, they brought in Akeem Ward last year, who unfortunately went down with an injury. And if, if you're asking me my opinion of why last season was derailed uh, from, from making a deeper run into because Keem Ward went down. He was uh, growing into the position at right back. And then his injury forced Creighton to have to shuffle a lot of pieces around. And you had to move guys like Noah Frankie or Joel Rydstrand back to that position. And they did great. But when you move them back to that position, you're, you're losing some, some, some oomph up front and, and in yeah. the scoring department. And so that really hurt um, those guys because they were playing extended minutes. Um, you know, the Big East, uh, for whatever you'll say, I mean, it's a tough league. You know, you got to play every day. It's not like the Valley where you could take some days off and just out-talent some people. You have to beat everybody. And so guys like Frankie and Rydstrand were playing 90 minutes, and that was just killing their legs. And when it came down time to, um, you know, get um, get the results in, in, in the tournament, they just didn't have they just didn't have it. So hopefully uh, uh, with Ward back fit, uh, he looked great in the spring. I've heard great things about him when he played over the summer in uh, Oregon, he, he looked really good, supposedly out there. Um, their, their, their defense will be set. Um, it sounds like Michael Kluver, uh, redshirt freshman or redshirt senior from Omaha, is probably going to start in the goal. Uh, yeah. He's put in his time and uh, he's, you know, super athletic. Uh, he has the respect of all his teammates. And so he'll be a solid leader in, in, between, the, in between the posts. Um, and then with, like I said, uh, Legro, Prescott, Ward, and then possibly Lucas Stauffer on the back line. Uh, that's been a back line that's played together pretty much all last year. Um, and, and that looks to be, you know, one of the foundations of this team. Um, interest, and I, like I said, I'm not going to mention names, but Creighton's really hoping um, to pair uh, 
Joel Wrightstrand, who sits in the middle, middle of uh, the midfield. They're hoping to pair a really solid foreign player at that spot. And uh, they have a guy uh, at Creighton right now uh, who we're still waiting for his eligibility who would probably play right in, in Joel's spot. Mm-hmm. And my thought is that if uh, he's not uh, granted access into the school or whatever NCAA eligibility, uh, then you know I would like to see Stoffer in that position next to Rystrand. I think Lucas's best position in college soccer is is in the is in the middle of the the midfield as a as a defensive midfielder as a connector. Uh, he's got an excellent touch. Uh, he's he's a tough tackler. Uh, he's tough to knock off the ball. And I think him and Joel in the middle would really be a nice fulcrum for the team. So, uh, so if oh go ahead, you like you like Lucas better in the middle as opposed to like yeah. A counterpart to Noah on the outside. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Coach Bovich loves using his fullbacks as wingbacks, which is kind of right. the, the hip thing to do in soccer right now. You know, you can attack from your wingback positions. And, I mean, Lucas uh, is a great, uh, you know, he, he, he's great at uh, involving teammates and getting the ball across. And so he's valuable in that spot. And, and that's where soccer gets tough is because when you look at Stoffer, um, his position moving forward as a professional, and he's going to play professional soccer, his position might be as a as a fullback because I'm just not sure how many professional teams would give the middle of the midfield to a you know he's not the tallest guy you know he's 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 right. built but you know I think that some teams would have a problem with that even though they shouldn't uh, they would so his position's most likely fullback moving forward mm-hmm. and so you wonder how much he wants to kind of highlight his skills in that position to get a professional offer which is understandable but I think if Creighton's you know really putting their best people in the best positions. I, I just think that he played in that spot a couple times last year and, and Creighton really clicked in all, in all assets of the game when he was there because he's so good involving teammates and controlling the ball and controlling the flow. So that's where I would put him. Uh, if, if, if Creighton doesn't uh, maybe, you know, get some of these players in, in, in for the fall. Um, but, um, and you know, have Julius four as a fullback and so they have other defensive replacements. Right. Whereas in the middle of the midfield, if you don't go with Stauffer there and there's nobody next to Joel, you might have to play a guy who's much less experienced than anybody else in the roster. And that can get, get a little dicey because then you're asking right strand to do more or, you know, people not knowing their roles. And so that's why these NCAA holdups are just terrible because really the, the, the staff knows what they want to do. They just don't know if they can do it. Yeah. That's tough. Not- I, yeah, and I agree with you that the Akeem Ward injury was a bigger factor than many people think. Uh, you know, while there was still a lot of talent left on the roster, it caused that reshuffling that you mentioned where everybody was kind of moved into a different position until they felt like it was stable enough. But what they what they had to sacrifice to move everybody around just so they could be stable in the back four, um, you know, compromised their whole attacking. And that was the that was the problem in losses to Xavier. Villanova, you know, they lost to Butler on the road in the Big East title game when they lost to Providence. I mean, you think about all their losses, they out, I don't think they were outplayed much at all last season. Um, I'm trying to think what matches I felt like, yeah, they definitely weren't the better side, but um, well, it's it's gonna know, be tough. So many, they had so many just poor chances in the attack, yeah. third. they weren't they weren't they were one touch off, they were one pass off. The shots were all errant. They were just kind of like kicking the ball towards the end line, not really looking to score, um, just looking to keep pressure up. And, you know, that was a source of frustration for the coaching staff last year was that there really wasn't much efficiency in the attacking part of the field. Um, they're kind of hoping that's different this year, but that's still kind of a question mark for me because, like you said, the pieces they're kind of waiting on 
aren't there yet. You know, they can't use them yet. So right now you're 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 trying to figure out where is Ricky Lopez Espin still the most effective, and that still feels like a midfielder. You know, but then they might still need him in that that top line. So, you know, just based on a lack of options. So, you know, the, the thing I feel confident about this group is definitely the back four. If they're 100% healthy, and I think Kluber's going to do a good job with his chance. He's in his fifth year at Creighton. I think he's, you know, he's tall. He's got good athleticism. You know, he's he's long, so he can cover a lot of ground. Um, and he knows what Bolovich wants. I feel, good, I feel good about how they are defensively. It's just like I feel like if Joel – Rystrand, who I think is a good scorer, especially from distance. He's dangerous. You know, if they can get some help in the middle of the field, like you said, um, and definitely make that attacking third a little more, more a little more pop in the attacking third, they could be a team that definitely outplays their preseason ranking. Well, and what what, what we know uh, that Creighton's brought in, and, and what I can confirm has been brought in, uh, is all attacking talent. I mean, so they brought in yep. an Akron transfer, a six foot four forward from Akron, who played, uh, you know, you know, high substitute minutes for them, and they're a pretty, they're a great program. So, you know, he's a talented player to play up front, six foot four, kind of a target forward, but you know, good with his feet. Um, and then they they brought in another another forward, a Dutch kid, and kind of the the word I got from the the program over the summer was, like you said, they want to highlight. Espen can do and throughout his career uh in, in again in my opinion uh if you put him in the middle of the field and have him kind of create and not maybe the spearhead of the attack I think that's yeah. his best spot you know people look at Ricky and they see a six foot two chiseled you know specimen and they think this guy is going to head every ball into the goal he's going to be up stop unstoppable up top uh, and, and that you know and he can do that uh, but I think he's more efficient when he's creating right behind the strikers and can kind of pick up some of the garbage that, you know, pops out and, 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 and the, the defense tries to clear. He's definitely better in that role in my, in my opinion. And um, yeah, he doesn't get credit better. for it because he's, he's definitely deals with the ball. He, he's definitely yeah, he's really good on. He's not really, no one, I don't think on this team is really that great in the air. I don't think that's part of what they try to do either. Um, which, which is which is weird because Frankie and Stoffer are great at getting forward and delivering those balls in as a cross. Right. And so, so much of last year, I thought, well, who is going to be at the end of these crosses? It's great that we've developed a system where Fr- Frankie on the right or Stoffer on the left are just serving these great balls into the middle of the box. And Ricky's tall, but he's not necessarily the best aggressive header, you know, to score yeah. option. And so, what they brought in is that Dutch forward who's good with his head. He's six three. Uh, Mascioni is the Akron transfer, and he's six foot four, and he's good with his head. So they've brought in options to make them more dynamic up front. Are they better finishers than Lopez Espin? We'll we'll have to see. But but they brought in different dynamics to the attack because I think toward the end of the year the teams thought, well, we're going to let Stoffer and Frankie get to the wit wide and cross these balls in because Creighton's not going to bang them home if they continue to deliver balls in. So what Bolovich did was solve that problem by getting more attacking threats up front, and that can make Ricky more behind them to kind of create, you know, and, and, and connect passes. And, and so that'll, that'll really be interesting to see how they, how they, you know, line up and how, what the formation that Bulovich uses, because for so long and ever since he started here, he's always, like you said, kind of defense and, and in college soccer, um, you're just not having dynamic offensive players, you know, in, you know, infused into the game to where you're going to have a team score five goals every night. Really, these are defensive games and 
kind of the more skilled players and the better prospects are all defensive players. You have good offensive players. If you can shut a team down, you're more likely to win a game than if you can go out and score five goals, you know, five out of ten games. So, And another attacking piece. Bovich has always put his better players in the back, which is great. You know, we've always been tough to score on, but you're right, come – you know, come uh, you know tournament time, everybody's kind of putting their better players in the back, and there's always a defensive kind of mold, and, and it, you have to go and break a team down, and Creighton's fail at that. Later, you know, Sweet Sixteen, and you know this is the year where they've they've gone out and really supplanted some of the uh, offensive talents and brought in some, some you know tricky wingers or some good offensive players to pair uh, with some of the returning guys. So tricky it'll be winger. interesting, but again, a lot. Yeah. Go ahead. Tricky winger. That I'll tell you like one. A, like a good Sven Koenig is a Koenig. He's a he's a he's a transfer from a Hawaiian Division Two school. You think Creighton's bringing in another Division Two player from Hawaii? That just sounds ridiculous. He but, led he I mean, led this, D2 in scoring too, didn't he? And, yeah, he's gonna he's he, he could he could be Creighton's best player this fall. And I'm not trying to you know usurp uh, Stauffer or Frankie or Lopez Espin because he just did though. I think that's, <laughs> that's what I just heard. Oh, I, I, I'm looking at it from a, 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 a an opponent coach's point of view. We they know what Lopez Espen and Stauffer and Frankie are going to do to you. Uh, they've seen the Akron transfer. You know, they they kind of know what Creighton is is built on with those you know kind of players. But I think if you're looking for a guy that can come in and just kind of take your breath away for the first couple months, teams aren't going to be ready for this kid. Uh, and 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 so kind of keeping him on one flank with Frankie on the other flank, uh, that can give you some some as an opposing coach because um, that's they got speed uh, they're they're good with the ball and and if you can keep Lopez Espen and some of those you're gonna you're gonna create opportunities again if you can create a, a solid midfield with Joel and you know another unnamed player uh, then that that would really shore up this lineup and so well, I have, uh, again we'll, we'll have, to, I have an unnamed player that we haven't mentioned yet in Luke Hawkinson so I thought it was really that, good in the second half. And I, you know I what? I thought he was the best player on the field against Providence when they lost in the Sweet 16. And, and you know, Luke, it looks one of those guys that kind of, like, yeah, he transcends that. Guys and Lucas Stauffer and Akeem Ward all from that Shattuck St. Mary's Academy. I don't know if I don't know what his best position is. I, I, I have an opinion, but I'm not sure if the coaching staff fell in love with him at any spot. They put him up front because he's so tricky and good right. in front of goal and efficient. You know what I mean? When ball came to him, he would make the right play a lot of the time. So they put him up front because that's where they were struggling. But you know, in 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 uh, you know, in his high school or his developmental academy days, he was he was a midfielder. He was a creative midfielder, and a lot of the times, the best player on the field goes to that spot. But I think that you know he might be be a nice compliment to Lopez Espin in that role if that's where they see him play and. Again, a lot will depend on the formation because he's not really a wide midfield player. No, no. He's definitely more in the middle, and I could see him becoming, uh, you know, a Rydstrand, uh, Andrew Ribeiro, a Ricky Ricardo Perez, that kind of kind of you know pivot in the middle. But right now, he, he's just not. I don't think he's got that 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 hard nose. I'm going to grab a yellow card every match kind of mentality. Um, and so I, w- I don't think that he's the guy that can maybe play next to Joel. I think he would do well there, but I just don't think that that was the mindset of the coaching staff moving into the season. And so he's kind of one of those guys that, uh, like Jose Rivas, can play really any position on the field. Right. He's kind of one of those super subs to have, and you're, you need a goal or your right, right back goes down in the game, okay, plug Luke in there. Left midfielder goes down, plug him in there. Striker goes down, you can put, put him really wherever. So he's a valuable piece. I, I just uh, – 
Yeah. He, I like him as a guy who can help you move Ricky around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if you want to play, if you don't want to play Ricky 70 plus minutes in the same spot the whole time, you can put Luke in up front and have Ricky move to the midfield, or you can move Ricky from the midfield up to the up to the top line and have Luke play in the midfield a little bit. I mean, that's his versatility that you just mentioned there. You know, the value he brings with that is he, they can be more creative with Lopez Esman based on the matchup, based on how the game is flowing and things like that. Um, I think he's a very valuable piece, probably an underrated piece since it took us so long to mention him, I think. Because yeah. I felt like, again, he had a really strong second half for a freshman. So, you know, when you see freshmen come on late, you know, you that I feel like most times, more times than not, that translates into a strong sophomore campaign versus when they – kind of hit that freshman wall after a strong start they that they're more likely to slump in their sophomore season because they're not coming in confident i feel like hawkinson is coming in confident based on how he played the end of the season when he was one of the best attacking pieces um so i wouldn't be surprised to see him have kind of a sophomore breakout yeah i mean kind of like noel frankie i mean he really didn't play very much his freshman year and then kind of burst out of the seams and now it's again one of creighton's more uh you know uh important pieces moving forward and now really you know a, a talisman of the team kind of a guy that you can't really you can't really you know move the ball or or do something without and a lot of the times last year uh, Noel Frankie was the most dangerous player on the field and oh yeah teams, teams weren't ready for his speed and again he is a guy that you know will probably play professional soccer or I would say definitely play professional soccer and his speed is his number one asset and so you got to keep guys like him and Ricky fresh and I know that we all want to go out and beat Stanford and Cal and Virginia Tech and all these early season games and those are important games to get results in and Bolovich knows that I just you gotta you gotta build that depth at the beginning of the year they have players that had good summers like Daniel Ribas and Julius Four. <clears throat> uh, they brought in a couple other freshmen Christopher Lund in defense uh, that's on the roster already the, the guys are there the talent is there but they need to get these guys meaningful minutes at the beginning of the year, so they're not shell shocked come Big East tournament time, uh, when we can maybe let Ricky play 30, 40 minutes a game, you know, and, and take a little bit of a break and rest the legs. Because as we know, travel for any program in the Big East is tough, but soccer always seems to get a pretty poor travel schedule. And they're in the airport tons of time and their legs aren't right. And so um, you got to build that depth right away. And it's going to be tough because their schedule. Like the women's volleyball schedule, I mean, they're playing Stanford, who won it last year in preseason number one. They go out One there. Years, bro. Yeah, two. I mean, and Stanford. Stanford's the only program in America that does not recruit internationally, which is kind of odd because Stanford seems such like an international school. But they go and they get every. They're the Kentucky of college soccer. They go and yeah. get every awesome freshman. Uh, I follow high school soccer fairly closely, and I would say. Eight of the top 50 kids in college soccer coming out of high school are going to Stanford. Maybe even eight out of the top 25. They're, they're that good. I would say five of the top 10 are going to Stanford. So they're loaded again. Uh, wow. They have, you know, Providence and Butler are great again. Virginia Tech's top 25. And they got a tough schedule. And um, if there's one thing I've learned with college soccer, it's um, <laughs> uh, Bolovich knows what he's doing. And while I might get frustrated early with some of the substitutions or the patterns or playing people extended minutes or, or, or not understanding what, what the point of, you know, you know, certain lineups are, it's that Bolovich has a plan. Yeah. Uh, it just, he hasn't, he hasn't really, you know, everything hasn't clicked like it needs to, to win a national title. And that's tough. Um, but you know, if anything, Creighton fans should have faith that Bolovich knows what he's doing. And if he can get the right pieces in, 
then uh, then you know Creighton's as good of a shot as anybody to to win a national title this year. You'd be surprised how many people don't necessarily fall into that line of thinking of following Bolivich's track record and just you know understanding this man has a plan and he knows what he's doing. I mean, I feel like I yeah, I get questions every year that they say, why this, why that, why this, why that. Well, it's like, well, I'm not going to tell you a better reason than he will, and if he can explain it, that's pretty much all you need to know right there. So, I mean, the track record speaks for itself. I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, I I stopped questioning his tactics after his first two years. I mean, I I was confused and I didn't understand why we were doing certain things or or shifting players in certain spots that were maybe away from where I thought they were playing the best. And I mean, the guy's the guy's record speaks for itself. I mean, he does. He seems to always push the right buttons at the right times. Injuries and some poor luck, like any sport, have derailed his chances for winning a national title. But you know, he's done more with less than anybody in college soccer. I mean, he, he, yeah, we get talented players, but by no means are we grabbing the best players internationally or in in the United States. And we're always one of the top programs. That's that comes down to his coaching and his ability to, to form a team. And so um, you should, I mean, you could never count us out for a national title run. You really can't. And the year you do, we'll win the national title. I mean, like, Last year, at the end of the year, they, they finished in the Sweet 16. One round earlier than the Fabian Herbers, Timo Pitta team from the year before that was expected to win the national title. They went run round short of that group with all the injuries they had, with all the people they needed to replace. And when I asked him if the season felt like a success based on what they accomplished compared to what they were trying to replace in a quote-unquote maybe a transition year, you know, he was disappointed. He, he, because he said we play for national titles here. We don't, we don't play for Sweet Sixteens. So that was the transition year. They made the Sweet Sixteen, and it was a disappointment. He's like, I felt like we could have won some matches in the regular season that would have put us in better position to host some of these, you know, these matches instead of putting us in bad spots and having to dig out of holes and things like that, like they did at the end of the season when they almost missed the conference tournament and NCAA tournament. And they still made the Sweet Sixteen. So just think about that. That's that's his level of expectation. Is he's disappointed with a Sweet 16 squad that was injured, that was in kind of a transition year after losing the players they lost, and he was disappointed. So, I mean, that just tells you what your expectation level for Creighton soccer is every year. And no matter what you think anybody or anybody thinks they should do on the outside of the program, it won't, it won't exceed <laughs> Elmar's expectations. It won't. They they're they're psychotically obsessed with just competing for national titles year in year out. Well, he was and he I was in, in great. The, and I guarantee the, the volleyball. What Creighton volleyball team is doing? Don't think there isn't some competition there to kind of be the first team to do it. So now that there's like more pressure yeah, and, internally, and what, don't think that that's not there. And what volleyball is doing is great, and 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 really, I I, I can't even been able to to accomplish, uh, you know, the last four years. But make no mistake about it. I mean. Bolovich was brought to Creighton. Booth, you know, Booth is putting a program together. She's creating Creighton volleyball, but but Creighton soccer was developed, and they brought in Elmar Bolovich to win a national title. And so that that's that is the goal. And anything short of that, and he's going to be disappointed. And uh, again, we say it every year, but they they have the pieces. It, it just it it, it it it'll 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 be interesting to watch. To see what pieces show up on Saturday in uniforms, and uh, and and the way we line up because because um, the national titles 
they're to be taken. There's no dominant team this year. Everybody's got tons of questions. Everybody's bringing in different pieces and everything shifting around, and it, it, it'll be interesting to watch. Whoa, that was a little robotic there. What'd you say, Matt? Do you want to hear something funny? I was, I was, uh, you know, obviously I don't, you know, I scrape as my home away from home, so I'm always down in Austin, but they were getting rid of some media guides, some old media guides. So naturally I volunteered to take them home. And uh, I found a 2003 Creighton Volleyball Year uh, media guide, the first year Kirsten was hired. Um, she has like a little passage in the opening page of the media guide, you know, kind of a little paraphrasing what it says. No. <laughs> We don't want to know. No, I can't uh, hear I can't, you. We can't hear you. You're, yeah, bra- you you're breaking, breaking up a little up. bit. Oh, sorry. I want you have me on pins and needles. Tell me what she said. Yeah. So yeah, so she's taking over a three and twenty-three program, right? A team that didn't want to play for her that said, "Don't hire her, or we're quitting." Kind of deal. You remember that whole story? Oh yeah. So, one of the things she says in her little message to the fans is, "As head volleyball coach, I am elated to join Creighton. The new coaching staff and I are committed to making Creighton a top-flight volleyball power." Um. And goes on to say, I truly believe with Creighton's academic reputation, along with the direction we are taking the program, we can compete for top tier recruits on a national level. That was when she took over a three and twenty-three team. <laughs> and look what this woman did. Like yeah. seriously, her and Gioxy Barons, who have been there the whole time together, those two built this program literally from the ground up. The building that they were, they were excited to play in that year has been torn down and is turned into like an empty lot. It's gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, they built it from literally nothing. And now, like, if you go to DJ Soul Floor Arena tomorrow night, you're going to see, like, an awesome new paint job. Dude, everything's decorated. The banners look amazing. You know, there's there's an Elite Eight banner. There's a Sweet 16 banner. Big East titles up the wazoo. It's just and insane. you are saying that the next banner up there, not the Final next, four. but that's Final Four, that's National Championship. I, I, all I'm saying is I think they're <laughs> – based on what they have back, I'm putting them – most likely. Okay. I, think that's I agree. Creighton soccer will win a national title before Creighton volleyball does. And that's no slide on Creighton volleyball. I just feel like the competition in, in women's volleyball is more yeah. consistent. It's more developed and it's got to be tougher to win when you're not. And, and, and again, not a slight, but when you're not a Texas or a Nebraska or USC that has so much resources compared to other schools, like in Creighton's got a great set of resources, but th- that's always going to be somewhat of a David and Goliath kind of thing with Creighton soccer. Creighton soccer is the Goliath in soccer uh, right. in, in, in college soccer. And so it, it's it's going to be easier for Creighton to compete against the programs be, because they're putting more resources in it than other schools. And so, so um, in my defense, I, I mean, I hope, I hope, I hope volleyball does because it's a lot warmer inside for a final four than it is outside it, for a final four. The only, the it, only it, true answer is, is for them to win them both in the same season. Right. Who, so who would win it first? Defense, What's my, the date? Right, right, right. So in my defense, soccer would win it first because they'll play the <laughs> national title game first. So like, there you go. If it happens this year, they both win it. Joey will technically be right, but I'll still feel like a point of pride. No, that'll be a draw. We're just going for the season. But just I understand. Going, all right, you're all right, that's you're a good man. You're a good man. You're always trying to deflect the credit. You're a good man. <laughs> Guys, we've been at this for about an hour, and I know that we got about almost an hour worth of uh, interview with Jaylee and Megan. So um, we did get some great questions on Twitter when I opened it up here while we were broadcasting. So um, you'd be shocked to learn that the majority of those questions are about men's hoops. So the good news is that we can pocket those questions for next week. 
Um, Fair enough. <laughs> and then all the people that uh, that uh, that send in the messages will not only listen to the podcast this time to see if they got answered, but then also yeah. have to tune in the next week, right? See how much when, when they hear when they hear you saying tune in next week for your answers. There you go. Right, which happens to be fifty five minutes into the broadcast. <laughs> so, uh, if, if yeah. A little, little trickery there. Little I'll throw a little tease out there. I'm not sure if we're going to do this next week, August 17th. I'm not sure if this, but if we podcast two weeks at the end of August, I would possibly think that we'll have another basketball recruit for 2018 at that time. Okay, because that's one of the questions: is who's Man, the next domino to fall there? Is it? Oh, perfect. Well, I think that uh, that we're going to have something interesting to talk about in a couple weeks. Okay, so the question is, what? Let's just use this as a cliffhanger, okay? What's the what probability do we have to get Marcus Z, Xavier Johnson, and Ayo? Who is most likely a J? Oh, of the three. Of the three, who's oh, okay. most likely all three, a J? All three zero. Um, what about getting two of the three? That's the last part of the question. No. Yeah, all three. No way. Creighton will maybe grab two of them if they can. Uh, but uh, Ziggler Kai, the point guard from New England, is probably the leader in the clubhouse for the Jays. Okay. I think Creighton has assessed all their best uh, point guard talent uh, that they like over the summer, and I think Ziggler Kowski is, um, is the player that they're going to hunt. Now, we have a scholarship remaining for 2017, and that allows Creighton to go after other bigger targets for 2018, which is a great luxury to have. So sure. tune in next time, and we'll see. Oh, look at that. That's a nice little segue. So, um, one more piece of housekeeping before we get to the interview. Uh, all you listeners, I'm sure you've heard about our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we've got about nine or eight days left in that campaign. We're a couple hundred bucks short right now. Um, $50 or more gets you a printed 150-page 2016-2017 Creighton Sports Yearbook designed by our own Tom Nimitz. $25 or more gets you, or 25 to the $49 threshold gets you a PDF uh, digital version of that book. But either way, anything that you might be able I saw to someone support. Bid, I saw someone bid $45 too the other day. I was like, oh man, really? I know, right? Yeah. I saw that too. Like, really? I'm like, come on now. I might just chip in the $10 myself to get that uh, guy or gal over the threshold. Yeah. But, yeah, give them a hard copy. And I'm gonna be eating some. I'm eating, I'm eating two runs this tomorrow. So please, blue, we'll put more donations in. So we're gonna get. You know, we'll be closer to the threshold after I you know, okay. scarf those nasty creations down. So, <laughs> wow, Ugh. let's get there. Uh, yeah. So if you have a chance and you like what you hear here, or you like what you watch on Tom's Blue Jays Rewind or the Blue Jays Highlight Reels, all of those um, wonderful videos that he pulls together, um, all that stuff, you know. Whatever you... Rodney Buford dunk mixtape coming. Dude, Boom. That cannot come quick enough in my life. Right? I mean, it just if we can't, get to 5,000 so. people... I was pre- I, I'm, I'm post-Rodney Buford, so I haven't really seen mm-hmm. him in all of his glory, so I'm very excited for that. Yeah. I, I, came, I came here in 2001, and I was from California, so I didn't watch much of uh, whatever local TV Creighton was on at the time, so uh, that'd I'm be zero. That'd be zero. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, no, Good point. He's got Good point. on the... Chris Peterson on the radio. Yeah. Uh, um, you know a funny Rodney Buford story that I'll yeah. like give everybody something to laugh at before we leave? Yes. Um, so 
late in his senior season. I think he scored. He, he crossed two thousand points. I think he was against Southwest Missouri State. Um, shout out to Steve Alford. Uh, Helmet. <laughs> we'll see you. In, we'll see you on Thanksgiving, bud. Um, so he scored a two thousand point against uh, Southwest Missouri State, and I was down. I went down. My dad let me go down in the tunnel and kind of wait there to get autographs from the players and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think I was around twelve or thirteen at the time. And uh, so I was waiting in the in the tunnel, and Dana Altman comes down. I'm guessing from doing radio or something, and he sees me. And I know Creighton has a huge fan base now, but back then there wasn't like a thousand kids waiting for autographs like there are now. I was literally just the only kid just hanging out waiting for autographs. Right. So Dana sees me and goes, "Are you lost?" And I was like, "You know." And <laughs> are you looking for Runza? I, I was all shy. I was like, "No, I'm just waiting for autographs from players." Blah blah blah. And he goes, oh, well, come on in the locker room. So he just grabs me and takes me into the locker room to get autographs. And I'm making the rounds. And well, I hear this I hear this singing in the in the showers. And uh, so Rodney Buford comes out from around the corner completely naked. Um, <laughs> eyes closed, jamming out, jamming out to his own song that he created himself in the shower called 2000 Point Man. Um, <laughs> he just kept singing that over and over again because he had crossed 2000 points. Um, that night, and yeah, that was a fun memory. The seeing rest a, is history, as they say, right? Yeah, seeing an NBA player in fully nude and singing about it. <laughs> so, that, that is good. amazing. Now you have to bid thousands of dollars at the Jamboree to get into the locker room. Uh, yeah, I know, right? And you were doing it for locker sure. room this year. Did you know that? That's no. I'd pay $1,000 to get into our current locker room with Rodney Buford naked singing that song, probably. <laughs> Uh, uh, we should start a Kickstarter for that. <laughs> we'll put that at like fifty grand and see how fast it goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, uh, chip in whenever you can for the Kickstarter campaign. We got about a week left on that, but looking forward to getting those books out to people. And all that money goes to sending people like Matt DeMarinas to follow Creighton volleyball as they try to win a national championship and follow Creighton soccer as, as they try to claim a national title and our photographers that spent countless nights down at Morrison stadium and Sokol arena. Um, so help those guys out because they do a ton for um, a very kind of organic, but uh, devoted and involved Creighton fan base through our site, through our social media campaign uh, or our social network, uh, social media networks. So anything you can do there. Um, also support our sponsor, Lawler's Sportswear. Uh, Lawler's Thank you, Lawler's. Great. Thanks, Lawler's. 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 <laughs> so um, obviously volleyball, soccer ramping up here. We didn't even get a chance to talk to Ross Pauly, uh, talk about Ross Pauly's squad. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll hit them next time. They'll have another exhibition in the books by the time we podcast next. So, Everybody, uh, stick around. Listen to this interview with Jayla Winters and Megan Ballinger. Um, two corner pieces, uh, cornerstones in what likely will be a very historic season for Creighton Volleyball again. And um, they start their season in earnest this weekend with the blue-white scrimmage free for everybody to attend. So get down to Sokol Arena, check out the new designs, the new digs kick us some money on kickstarter thank you for listening to the podcast for matt Marinas and joey tempo i'm a great nodder brian dot saying so long and go jays 
Uh, this is a, another episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast, another exclusive interview with the Ankeny volleyball duo of Jaylee Winters and Megan Ballinger. Um, thanks for sitting down. I know you guys are like in the middle of your summer, you're done with your workouts, you're like, don't bother me until the season starts no, pretty much. today so. was our last day of lifting. Oh, really? Yeah, it was crazy. So it was, this, the summer went fast. It was the perfect time to bother you then? Yeah, okay. it was a great time. Yeah, that's good. Um, belated happy birthday, by the way. Thank you so much. So... I was going to ask you what your first drink was until I realized mm-hmm. you're not 21 yet. <laughs> no. Nope. You're a young junior. Yes. Like, she's very. she's older than you. Yeah, she's a lot older than me. Brittany Witt is only a month younger than me. Brittany Witt is older than you. She's going to be, <laughs> oh, she's going to be, yeah, she's a month behind you. You're right, you're right. And she's a sophomore. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> she's a sophomore. She's yeah. a month behind you. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, I was going to ask, like, how hard you partied, and I was like, wait a minute, she's not 21 yet. No, I was, I was asleep at, like, 10.30. We had morning waste the next day, so. What a birthday. It's awesome. We went to IHOP. All she wanted was pancakes. Pancakes at IHOP? At IHOP. I love pancakes. They have warm syrup at that's, IHOP. That's, 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 that's the why. distinction? Yeah. Right. And it wasn't warm. And the pancakes are good. <laughs> well, it actually, no, 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 no. The syrup wasn't warm. We made them go warm it up. <laughs> she goes, can I get this warm? warm? <laughs> so it wasn't even your, it wasn't even like the peak IHOP birthday then. They had to warm up the syrup for you. I mean, yeah. It's fine. <laughs> I it's was funny. happy. I wasn't there for the great service. I was there for the great pancakes. It's funny you brought up restaurants because that's one of my new trivia questions. But uh, anyway, um, first of all, Jaylee, you spent some time overseas, obviously getting some getting some culture in your life. Yeah. Uh, getting to spend time with the national team. Um, have you settled back into the central time zone yet? How long did that take to adjust? I think you guys were, what, seven Yep, hours seven behind? hours. Um, it was harder to adjust when I got there because it was the daytime. So I had, and it was like nighttime here. Mm-hmm. But when I got back here, it was a lot easier to adjust. It really wasn't that hard. And I'm really good at taking naps. So I think that um, came to my advantage at that point. Uh, would you have a lot of family and friends getting up at two and three in the morning to watch your matches? Yes. Oh my gosh. So much dedication from back here at home. So it was awesome to have people up watching. My grandpa went to bed super early just so he could get up and watch. So. It was cool to see. You know what I realized on the last day of that was that they archive all the live streams. Oh, really? Yes. So there was no reason to get up at 3 in the morning wow. to watch those things because you could just go in. And they literally archive them like, huh. in seven-hour increments. So if you like, you just find your match, and you could watch it any time of the but day. But the true dedicated fans want to see it live when it's happening. Yeah. But it just it messed up my sleep schedule, too. Did you watch it? Yes. Aww. And I sat at them, and then I realized on the last day of Championship Day, I was like, wait a minute. They archived <laughs> all of these, and my sleep was screwed up for the week. But, well, uh, thank you so much. No problem. It's a thankless job. Um, what was the national team experience like? Obviously, you're around a lot of your peers as far as like players, All-Americans, players on elite teams and things like that, players that have the same goals as you. Mm-hmm. So what was it like to be their teammates for a brief amount of time? Yeah, it was a really cool experience to be a part of. Um, it was fun to be on the same side of the net, uh, which is different than usual. Obviously, you're always on the other side. Like so, I mean, obviously, I tried to get a little bit of a scouting report on some of the girls for this season. But um, it was just fun to get to know them off the court. Everyone is so much fun. We had such a great time off the court as well as on the court. So, yeah. is it, Was it... Is it hard to switch off? Because something that's interesting is that Jacqueline was um, splitting playing time with the setter for Pitt. Oh, really? And you were splitting playing time with Courtney Schwann, Pac-12 Player of the Year at Washington. Mm-hmm. That's your first weekend opponents, two of them right there. Was yeah. it hard to say? I mean, Kelsey Payne's on the team, Jenna Rosenthal's on the team. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to play pretty much your whole team this year. Was it hard to 
switch it off and say these are my teammates and not people that I'm trying to beat for once? I mean, no, not really. I mean, on the court, you're always looking at like what they're good at, what I need to improve on, what they're doing better than me. But at the same time, you know, we were all friends. We're just there to have a good time and just enjoy Europe and just have a great experience. So no, no infighting them. No, absolutely not. No, we had such a great time. We still have a group message. It's actually going off right now. Just okay. talking about how everyone's media day is going and just all the funny pictures and stuff like that. So. What were some of the activities you guys did off the... I imagine it was like Olympic style a little bit. I mean, I know you guys don't have experience being Olympics, but I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like Olympic Village style where you guys were all together a lot. Um, even like the other teams that were involved, was it? Did it feel like a, like an Olympic Village type of deal where you guys were all I mean, together? Doing I don't really know things. what an Olympic Village feels like. Sorry. I hope one day I bad, know what that feels bad like. Bad context. But, I um, yeah, uh, in Croatia, all the teams stayed in the same hotel. We had one really big like hoorah on the very last day, and it was a lot of fun. But um, so we got to do more than the national team gets to do because they're you know more strict down to business mm -hmm. whereas we got to do some off-site stuff we got to go cliff jumping one day i'm pretty sure the national the real national team is not allowed to go go cliff jumping when they have a game the next day so stuff like that we still got to make sure we had a good experience because our schools were paying for it and they wanted to make sure that we could come back and tell our schools that you know we did some fun stuff as well as play volleyball did you text kirsten that you were going cliff jumping no, and I only went off the really low one because okay. I was too scared. Okay, <laughs> good job. Um, what was the competition like? Because you'll, you'll hear about um, like men's basketball go on overseas trips and things like that, but every mm -hmm. time a D1 school goes over, they usually just beat people by like 70 points, and it's not really getting anything out of it competitively. What was it like competitively? I know you guys won, but it didn't seem like you guys were just wiping everybody out. It seemed like it was pretty competitive. Yeah, there were definitely some good teams and as well as some not so good teams. Um, it's interesting how at whatever level you play at, you're still going to have those games where um, you're going to win easily and you still have to stay um, at your own level and not sink down to their level. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting to see. But the competition was good, and along with that, I think it came down to like the fact that we'd only been playing together for a week. So every once in a while, like you don't know how people's personalities are at first. Like What do people do when you get put in those hard situations? So. Mm -hmm. I think by the end of it, we had figured it out, but just trying to get that team chemistry going at first definitely played a role. A valuable experience overall for you, like oh, yeah. life-wise anyway? Would yeah. You... What? Sorry. A valuable experience life-wise, you think you, when you look back on that, is that going to be a highlight for your, I guess when you think about the things you got to do in college, going overseas and playing volleyball, is that going to be... One of, the, one of the highlights. Yeah, for sure. And I think it could have been a make or break because, like, sometimes girls aren't very nice. So, right. like, you never know what you're going to get into. But all the girls were so awesome and, like, just so inclusive. We all had so much fun together. Um, so I think just those connections I made are definitely something that will last me a lifetime. Nice. Uh, Megan, your summer is interesting because it was more business-related, I guess. Um, yeah. You had the injury, obviously, at the end of the season. First of all, tell me about how what it was like because it looked like you were obviously very frustrated that your body wasn't letting you do the things that you needed to do in the most important matches of the season but there were some highlights you got match point against Kansas to send you guys to the Sweet 16 um, you know and then down in Austin it looked like you were obviously trying to give whatever you could but it was obviously frustrating you that you couldn't what was what was that like that you know experiencing going to the Elite Eight but then not being able to be on the court um, it was, like, it was a mix of emotions, like, when we made the Elite Eight, like, I was obviously, like, so excited and, like, pumped, but it was also, like, I can't walk, so, right. 
Um, it was weird. Like, it was a really... I didn't, like, know how to, like, react. Like, I was happy, but it was, like... I, like, I didn't play. I can't really walk. Like, I'm pretty much done, so... It was... Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> it was weird. Was it... I mean, because you have to be supportive, obviously, but then you're still thinking... I mean, I'm sure there's moments where you're thinking, like, if a point, if, a, if, if the other team gets a point, or if Texas gets a point, Michigan gets a point, like, what could I have done to prevent that, things like that. Or how did you fight the frustration to keep it on the back burner and support your teammates out there while you were, you know, sitting out there injured? Um, I feel like if you, like, if you're saying, like, I could, I could have done this, I could have done this, like, you put so much pressure on yourself. So it's really, I mean, it's kind of a waste of time, honestly, because it's, like, okay. it was what it was. So I think it just came down to like, I I mean like I accepted like what it was for you know, for what it was and it. You knew you. I just had to cheer other people on. Like you knew there was just, no way you could get out there in the first place. So. It would have been like it would have been more of a harm to our team if I would have played. Yeah. Probably because yeah. I couldn't move really. So. I mean, that's a that's a hard thing to get over in volleyball. Um, yeah. How long were you dealing with the injury? It looked like there was, you, it was at a point where it's not going to get any worse. So whatever you can do physically, as long as you can do the things you can do you can you can play at certain points I mean how did you get ready physically for the Big East tournament the NCAA tournament to be able to be somewhat effective um I found out well I had a stress fracture in my fibula mm -hmm. um before we went to Kansas I think and then it, at that point it hurt but it was like it wasn't terrible and it wasn't I mean it was gonna get worse so then it progressively got worse and I was like I basically, like, wasn't practicing, and like, right. I would just, like, play in the games, or, like, the Kansas game. I, like, didn't really warm up, because I, like, couldn't jump at first, and then I, like, played. So it was, it was weird. I don't know. It was how, just a different routine. It's When you're in set five against Kansas, how much adrenaline is running through your body at that point? Do you feel, when you're in set five against Kansas, and you guys are going point for point, I mean, one run decides the match pretty much, because you guys were, in, you know, it was one after the other trading points. Were you feeling any pain at that point? Um, I think the only thing I know, like, Coach Booth, like, during that warm-up for that Kansas game, she was like, just, like, sit down, like, try to warm up, like, whatever, like, with a heating pack. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just need, like, the adrenaline. Like, that was pretty much what I said before every mm -hmm. single game. I was like, I just need the adrenaline to start because it's – I can't do it otherwise. So. Did she come up with a name for the heating pack? Because it was a pretty <laughs> – I noticed it a lot. It was a good companion of yours. Yeah, it didn't really help much. But, no. um, no, the, the whole broken bone thing didn't help. The heating pack didn't help. But, no. um – yeah, I don't know. It, was, it tried something. Well, what was it like, I guess, coming up with match point in a match like that where you thought you had it, you celebrated on the court? I mean, that's one of the most bizarre things I've seen. In the, where, where you guys celebrate and they <laughs> overturn it without a replay. I mean, they kind of just decided, yeah, I think they touched it. I mean, you guys did, but they didn't have a replay to decide that. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you Going through all that celebration, because I imagine that was an adrenaline dump point for you, and then now there had to have been a lot of pain for those last five or six points before you ultimately finish it out. Yeah, well, I, like, I rotated it out, and I was like, oh, like, obviously, like, the game's going to be over, you know, like, I'm probably not going to go back in, and then we just traded points, so then I ended up going back in, um, and it was fun. I mean, the adrenaline was definitely going, but, like, we were so calm, it was, like, it was crazy. It just like how calm we were, like point for point. I just like remember it, just like being like I feel like we slowed it down for ourselves a lot, which was really cool, and I think that was like why we won. But what was it like getting set match point when you? I mean, it was it was kind of easy, <laughs> but I mean, it's probably the easiest kill you'll ever have in your life. Jaylee's celebration. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was 
tells well, if she did. She that's that's, that's your celebration, though. You do that all the time when you do. Do I really do that? Yeah. I don't know what I do. Some more things. You're in the zone. Do some cool things. So I mean, when you get match point, you obviously know you just sent your team to the Space 16. Officially, there's no replay overturn this time. What was that feeling like for you as an athlete? Um, it was cool. I mean, I was happy it was over. I was like, finally, it's over. Give I think. Me some, give me a chair. Give me some yeah, a little. That was my max jump of the entire night, probably. Right. But yeah, it was worth it. It was fun. So I guess I, I don't. I don't like asking people about themselves, so I'll ask you about each other and see. If you know <laughs> about yeah, so, um, first of all, we'll start with we'll stay with Megan here. Um, Jaylee, obviously, there's some. I don't know what if there's anything different, but her her statistics jump up a level based on like goes from regular season to Big East tournament to NCAA tournament to rounds. Like everything gets better. Why do you think she's at her best? Why do you think her level raises when the stakes get higher? Um, because she wants the ball. I mean, at the end, at end game. And, like, she's going to go for it. I think that's the one thing, like, she's not scared to go for it at any point. And, like, you see that a little bit during, like, Big East, but, like, in the big moments, it's, like, who's going to get us a kill? I mean, Lydia knows, like, all right, I'm setting Jaylee this ball. She's going to get me a kill. That type of thing. And, like, trust her. So I think that's that's why. I don't know. I think she, you go for it. I think you just go for it. What I mean, what else do you have to do, you know? You hear Kirsten talk about that a lot, the mentality of just not yeah. being afraid of making a mistake and that go for it mentality she described both of you in that manner actually so I mean it, it sounds simple but why do you think not everybody can put the fear of failure aside and just think about the the aggressive nature that it takes to want that Paul to want that point in that moment is that too I don't know I mean I don't really know like where it came from you know I think it's a series of coaches telling us, I don't know, go for it at end game. I don't know. What do you think? It's, it's just a game. It's, it's a game. game. It it's a game. I just like, I'm going to go for it. You know what I mean? And like, I have the advantage if I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I'm just trying to have fun. Just trying to have fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you're watching Megan out there, obviously, you know, she's not a hundred percent those last couple of weeks, but like I said, you know, she sends you guys to Austin, Texas. She gets you a step further than you had been part of the step, same step you were at last year. Mm -hmm. um, you see that she's kind of pushing her body's limits, but then she's also contributing at the same time. So as someone who, you know, you guys grew up together, what was it like watching her, you know, persevere through that and still contribute to the team in, in a historic run? It was pretty crazy because, like, I'm a huge wuss off the court. Like, I hate getting injured. So, like, I really didn't know how she was doing this. Like, she would scooter onto warm-ups, like, because she couldn't walk, and then just, like, start stretching and warming up and then, like, playing the games and... It was kind of superhuman, to say the least, and, like, she never complained about it. You know, you, like, you could tell sometimes that it was aggravating her, but, you know, never let it affect the team at all. So, it was pretty strong of you, dude. It was pretty cool. As far as, like, locker room celebrations you guys have been involved in, was the Kansas one? Oh, that was legit. Epic. I mean, there's so much emotion in that match, that right? Fun. And you guys had to keep it all in check during the match, but I imagine mm -hmm. afterwards there was a big release. Was, was that locker room afterwards like hard to describe how much emotion was how much just raw emotion there's only was one word it was lit did you see Kirsten there's a video of Kirsten's Kirsten, yeah. locker room that was so much fun yeah she was I mean if you just compare and contrast to her celebration from North Carolina to yeah. Kansas clearly Kansas meant a lot more just based on what she had to go through because the North Carolina one 
it was mm-hmm. almost a foregone conclusion by set yeah. four. You guys were rolling them pretty good. But the Kansas one was in doubt almost the whole way. It yeah, was, that was probably, like, that game, that entire game was, like, the coolest game I've been a part of. Yeah. So cool. So. I think it was just because it was, like, like, Angie, I don't know, like, during that whole locker room celebration, she goes, I was so mad. And then I was, like, you know, she was so happy. She was so mad. And then she was uh-huh. so happy again. And, like, that's what it was. Like, it was just up and down and up. And then you're, like, oh, like, we won. I don't know. It was, you felt every emotion, yeah. I feel like, within the last, f- what, four points. It was crazy. It's so fun to think about. So I don't know if you remember last year, right before uh, conference play started, we did this we did this podcast last time. And I asked you how you felt about getting through that non-conference schedule and how you felt about the six teams that you lost to if you were to face them again. And you both felt pretty confident, no matter if it was Nebraska or Kansas or anybody, and you ended up beating Kansas down at their place, even though they got you here. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what do you feel about Texas after going through that match where, you know, the the crowd was intense, the players were obviously, Texas was obviously locked in, they were playing really well. Like, how do you feel about that level that you've seen now, one step from the Final Four, if you were to face Texas again? Do you have the same level of confidence you've had last year saying, yeah, give me Texas again, I don't, I'm not, I didn't come out of that match afraid of them, kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we lost one player, the rest of us are one year more experienced, you know, we know what we're doing now. Um, I think we have more confidence going into everything. And I don't know, I think mentally we're just going to be tougher. I think, like, you get a taste of that, and it's like we're a one win away from going to the Final Four, and I think it's like it drives you, and I feel like we felt that, like, all summer, and we felt that even right after. It's like, okay, like, let's get back to work type of mentality. What's the – this year is going to be a little interesting because, I mean, we don't know what the polls – the polls haven't been released yet. I think it's a couple weeks away, but you're going to have – target on your back even in non-conference play normally you know in the last couple of years you guys have kind of been the hunters in non-conference this year you're going to come into some matches possibly higher ranked than almost everybody you'll play depending on where you guys fall considering how many people you're returning I can yeah. see you like that idea of being yeah. the hunted for a change do you feel like that pressure to get back to the elite eight to get a step further I mean is that driving you or is that can that be a negative both I think it drives us but it can also be a negative like the one thing we always talk about is just knowing that we deserve to be here we deserve to have this ranking and like we just need to believe that in ourselves because that's the half that's half the battle right there is just knowing that you can beat these teams I mean we talk about it in the locker room a lot like don't get caught on the name of the back of their jersey like yeah Texas is a really big name USC is a really big name Kentucky is a really big name but it's just a name it's it doesn't mean a lot so just not looking into that too much and just playing the game how do you feel about it this is your first year dealing with kind of, I mean, I guess you dealt with the expectations of, but I mean, you've had now performances in a team that went to the Elite Eight and you've contributed to a team that went to the Elite Eight. How do you feel about having those type of expectations on your guys' shoulders? I think, I mean, for me, and I think like our entire program, I think Kirsten does a really good job of just like going game by game, honestly. Like yeah. it's, that's her motto. Didn't think we'd get it's, to August before we heard that. Yeah, so it's, a game by game, you know, mm-hmm. it's even in the Big East, you know, any game. I think you just take it for what it is. Like, it's a match you're going to go compete and give it your all. I don't even know who we, like, I know we play at Washington, and that's really all I know. I kind of forgot everything. Yeah. So you literally are game by game. Right? Yeah, I really literally. don't know. Um, 
I mean, you're going to hear a lot of questions about national championships, and it's funny because you two were saying that as freshmen. Hey, yeah. You're saying Sweet Sixteens, Elite Eights, Final Fours, something the school had never done before, and now it's going to be a bar that you can see, like you're close to clearing it, you know, based on last year's results. But you can go the other way. You know, when you look at the road that took you there, it was three five-setters. So, I mean, one player here or there, and you're on the other side of that feeling. So, do you, mm-hmm. I guess, do you think about how fickle it could possibly be, how close you were to not feeling what it's like to be in the Elite Eight one step from the Final Four? Or do you just only take the positives and try to use those to, you know, feel your workouts and things like that? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it as a team. Like, we could have lost to you and I, and if we if that would have happened, then we would not have felt as great as we did after the season ended. Right. So it really could have gone either way. I think the plan for this year is just, like, to be so good that the games aren't that close in the tournament. It's a good plan. <laughs> so then we don't have to worry as much. Yeah. <laughs> just be dominant. Okay. Um, this is going to be something for Jaylee. I have to say that because the audio is working. Uh, they don't see your faces. But last year or two years ago after USC, you didn't speak unless spoken to for, what, 48 hours or whatever it was. Uh, this this year after Texas was a little bit of the opposite. You you were obviously very open about how you felt about the season, um, your growth, your maturation, and um, just – in general, what you what your emotions were in that moment after Texas, why the difference? Like, what changed about you in that calendar year where you decided, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to open up and let everybody kind of see how I'm feeling right now. All right. Well, first of all, after we lost, like I didn't really care. I just cared about Brittany Wood's face. So I think that played a role. Like I did not give a crap about this game. Like mm-hmm. it was all like, how is Brittany doing? Like I need to see her. Like. I heard something crack, like something's not right with her face. Which is ironic because all she cared about was the match. Yeah, you know, like, like she was over, so oh she, my gosh. Because they like, are you crying because it hurts? Like, no, I'm crying because we lost. Yeah, that was, yeah. So that's kind of funny. I was like, no, I'm like crying because Brittany's face is broken. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, very different. Um, I don't know, I just kind of realized I did as the best I could, given every all the practice I had, everything I've, you know, been through to get here, and it wasn't enough, and it's just like, okay. What can I do now? I got to get back in the gym. I know I need to be a better passer. I know I need to be a better blocker. Like, let's just go do it. It's all I can do now. So, I don't know. I guess I'm just not as big of a baby anymore. I don't know what to say. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, you were very open and honest about being a better teammate, about being a more selfless teammate, about being someone who doesn't necessarily look to be so perfect or the number one option and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Were those things, I guess, weighing on your mind throughout the season, thinking about, trying to shift that instead of trying to be this superstar that you know that people in my area of uh work you know we describe you when you see things do that we get, we get carried away with the superlatives and things like that were you trying to shift that narrative a little bit to say no I'm just like everybody else part of the team because that seemed like that was the message you were trying to send I'm gonna make mistakes but it's not gonna affect me yeah I thought about the team a lot and like if I didn't have the most kills that night, it was a good thing because it meant we were passing really well and we didn't have to set the outside as much. Um, you know, you don't get as many awards, and that's okay. You put the team first. You make sure that everyone's getting done the job that they need to get done. Um, and, you know, we made it a step further. So I hope maybe that played a role. Maybe it didn't. But I felt good about the season. I felt good about what we had accomplished. Um, yeah. What was your reaction to seeing that? That seemed like... 
I mean, she's been the star of the team, but she hasn't been an outspoken star of the team in that regard. Like, you know, she'll keep to herself unless you ask her questions. When you see her open up like that and talk about the team and things like that, how did you and the rest of the girls react to, you know, the face of the team, if you will, kind of opening up in that in that manner? I mean, I like, I mean, I see her every day and like, I like literally see her all the time. So, I mean, I think I saw, I mean, I like, I saw the growth from that. And even like when we were like 13 years old playing together, like if you lost, like you literally wouldn't talk to anyone. And so like seeing that and just like, I don't know, I feel like you just, you got a better perception of like who you are, who you are as, who you are as a person. (laughs) Um, And I feel like, I mean, she grew up, I mean. Yeah, I also, I feel like I'm mellowing out a little bit. Like, it kind of freaks me out that I'm not as mad anymore after losses. Like, I feel like I still should be, like, taking them hard. Like, am I still competitive? Like, I hope so. I'm just, Mm -hmm. like, growing up, I I think you more, like, learn from things now. More Like, I think you take it and analyze it more and try to, like, use it to drive you more than, like, just, like, hang on to, like, the bad feeling of, like, losing. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. I read a lot of books. We We read a lot of articles as a team. Like, positivity helps so much more than negativity. So, I mean, anything I can do to help my team and if being positive is what I need to do. It just seems like a stark difference from Chapel Hill where you're... Is it Chapel Hill, Durham? Where are they at? Where's North Carolina at? Chapel, Chapel Hill, Hill, sorry. Uh, Chapel Hill where you're like, I win, that's what I do. You know, just bursting of confidence throughout a room of strangers. And then... Okay, that was the adrenaline we've been over this. That was not <laughs> a... That was, what was like a half an hour after the match. I was still hype. Okay. So, but I mean, it seemed like you were a different person <laughs> in... You know, for that to happen in a year, do you, how do you feel now, all this time later, going into this season, which is probably going to be one of your, I mean, until you guys change, until you guys go to the Final Four, this is your new expectations Mm -hmm. now, how do you feel going into third year, um, as far as who you might be as a player and a teammate? I want to be a better teammate, I want to be more calm on the court, I mean, I look at the national team girls and... The way they play on the court is so calm. It's not like crazy highs or crazy lows. It's just like really steady. So I don't know. I look to them a lot just to see like how I should be acting, the way the player that I need to be to be on that team, that type of thing. And I know that I need to be able to stay calm at all times, but get excited at the same time. You know how that goes. Yeah, you got to get hype a little bit. Yeah, you have yeah. to feel yourself. Um, what's you know your second year, Megan, of playing? Um, I assume you're 100% healthy now. We've heard that you're healthy, right? No. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but what's it what, going into this season? What are you looking forward to as far as what you can possibly contribute to this group? Because obviously you don't have Lauren Smith anymore, mm-hmm. so the middles are going to have kind of an increased role. You and Marissa, who had pretty much a breakout year last year, um, especially in the NCAA tournament. How confident are you feeling in your abilities and the role you might have on this group coming up? Yeah, I'm confident. I mean, I think I can play a bigger role this year. Um, and I'm just like I'm more comfortable like learning right side last year was new for me I'd never done that so I kind of learned that and kind of learned more like about our system and like actually like playing in big matches which is important so yeah I mean I've always been like confident though and I've like I'm usually just calm and just like steady so I don't really yeah I don't know I stay pretty calm pretty confident all the time so no matter the situation really how is the offseason physically in the weight room and the conditioning workouts and things like that the the things that you guys turned around and credited to at the end of the season when you guys look we're at the elite eight because of the stuff we did in the spring and the winter and things like that when when you know when men's basketball women's basketball are getting going they don't see what we're doing you, know, you guys are running ball carts up and down this hill around here like 
trying to get workouts in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was the off season like as far as the preparation you guys put in? Were you trying to rest yourselves from a long season, or were you trying to like I'm, I can't I want to make the final four. I want to keep yeah. going, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, we we don't go for time anymore. We go for like quality quality time. Yeah, so like get in, get what we need to do done, and then get out of the gym. So just good quality reps um, and get out. So we were trying to save bodies, less injuries, and at the same time make sure that we're getting everything done that we need to. But we worked hard all summer long. Um, it was a grind. But it was, yeah. our strength coach said he was proud of us. Yeah. And that doesn't happen very often. He okay. said that today, so we're happy. Yeah, we are. <laughs> He's happy, proud we're happy. Ourselves. I mean, fatigue can be a thing, and the wear and tear, obviously, with your guys' sport being quick bursts, and, you know, it's probably it's harder than joints. And the, the wear yeah. and tear you guys have for four years, I mean, how are you feeling? You go. The, the wear yeah. and tear you guys have for four years, I mean, how are you feeling? I mean, Europe made me realize that I should be doing my rehab every day. If I want to make it, like, as far as I want to play, like, as many years as I want to play, like, I need to make sure that I'm on top of my rehab. Um, I'm going to make yoga a priority this year. We have love yoga. Sunday yoga at Sokol, so I'm going to do that. Um, but, yeah, it's all about resting your body and taking care of it. So it's, I, pretty much I choose how long I want it to last. So We're going to get into the 2017 schedule a little bit. I don't know. You mentioned that you, you don't know much about it. You don't know much about it. This is going to be quite uh, revealing. <laughs> um, so I, I was I was going to break it down week by week, um, and then you guys will obviously deal with the shock factor of that because this thing is. And then we'll know. This thing is loaded beyond belief. I don't know. Kirsten really wants to find out if you're a Final Four team, I guess. So we're going to find out in a couple yeah. of months. Um, first of all, it's an exhibition match. After the blue-white scrimmage during the exhibition match down in Manhattan, Kansas against the Wildcats, uh, they obviously finished, I think, 28th in the poll, the final poll, and made it to the second round, lost in five sets to Ohio State. Yeah. That's your exhibition match. I'm taking this one personally, yeah. okay. for real. Oh, that loss hurt when we that lost one was one last bad. season. That was brutal. That really was what kicked us in the butt to, like, really realize we needed to keep pushing that. We weren't all that. Mm. So... I know it's just an exhibition, but that needs to be a winner. Are you looking forward to playing in that uh, poorly air conditioning? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, roll, I got I got I got two to... jerseys this season, so the sweat should be under control. We'll be able to fight the heat. <laughs> Super we'll be, excited. We'll be ready for it. Yeah. All right, so week week one, you're going out to Washington. You obviously know about that one. So you're playing St. Mary's Pitt, who beat Dayton in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, Dayton was probably the I think the, the only team that had a bigger winning streak than you guys going into the tournament, they beat them in the first round. Um, and then you got Washington after that, who obviously was the same spot as you guys last year. Elite Eight lost to Nebraska before the Final Four. What, what do you think about that opening weekend playing, you know, two teams that were in the NCAA tournament this year and one mm-hmm. elite one like you guys? I know nothing about Pitt, so we need to not overlook that one. St. Mary's um, has been good. Who? St. Mary's has been good, I think, in the past. Yeah, it's always the little ones. Like, we were the little, we were the little one you. before that got everybody, and now it's going to be them trying to get people. So we got to make yeah. sure that that doesn't happen. Um, we know Washington's really good. I got to play with Courtney Schwan in Europe, so she's a stud. Yeah, she's got her hands full blocking Courtney. Yeah, yeah you do. <laughs> and I got my hands full picking up her roll shot. She has a yeah. <laughs> roll shot. Yeah, <laughs> 
She was MVP of the whole that whole tournament. Yeah, there, she was. She? Yeah, she killed it. Um, then your only home weekend of the non-conference. We only yeah. have one weekend one, home. Just one. Oh yeah. my god. That's so what I mean. Like Kirsten, trying to kill us. It is a gauntlet. Uh, you get Kentucky, yes. USC, and you and I. No big deal. Classic. Three easy home wins. Um, you start with Kentucky. You obviously kicked your ass's butts last year. Probably the worst match you guys played sure all season. Uh, gonna be that one went so fast. Like, yeah, even, it was quick. After the game, it was like, wait, what happened? Like, did we just play Kentucky? We a match. Like, I don't know what happened. That's pretty bad. That was, I mean, you're all in agreement. That was easily the worst match you guys played all year. Oh, I don't even remember it. Like, I didn't realize it it's really a blur, happened. but like, I'm glad it is. Yeah. Um, but one of the two best ones you guys played with, I mean, you had a marathon against USC, obviously the NCAA tournament one against you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts on those two as, you know, the day two opponents? All good teams. Yeah. We just need to. You can just call the schedule that all good teams. That's yeah. Just <laughs> really good team tournament. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the biggest part of that tournament is you are playing really good teams. A lot, of t- a lot of times they do go to four or five sets, so the fatigue is what sets in and we need to make sure that that's not an issue that we're mentally tough and that hopefully all our conditioning we did over the summer paid off now this is the last year of this tournament you guys haven't won it yet is there any i mean you probably haven't thought that far i ahead, didn't think about that i didn't think about it, it. <laughs> i didn't know well it's here now we should probably win it yeah let's think uh i mean win you look at this revamped arena you're sitting in here the kind of the place that you guys have Helped to remodel all the banners you guys are sticking up on the walls these last couple of years, so they decided to remodel. You're gonna have, I'm assuming, from what I've heard, your season ticket renewals and things like that were as good as they've ever been. So oh, yeah. I mean, you guys gonna have a rocking crowd for you guys this year. Are you amped up to have that home weekend? Those three home teams. I mean, USC, you and I, Kentucky. That's gonna be a big seller, even if you didn't have oh, yeah. a lot of season ticket holders. I mean, yeah, I think might be one as of loud the games as already heard. sold out. Is it? Yeah, that's what Kirsten said. Oh. So it's going to be loud. Good. We need and they'll be on your side. On yeah, the home court advantage yeah. is a real thing. Home court Then we're back on the road. The Purdue match is interesting. You're going down to Lawrence, Kansas to play Purdue, Belmont, yes. Kansas. So obviously you know what Purdue means. And oh, we've heard. You've heard. So From knowing Lydia. how competitive Lydia is, oh, boy. Uh, does she have that one circled? Maybe over-circled three or four times <laughs> yeah, on yeah, the she's count. Excited she's about very excited about that one. What, what else about it? I don't know. The whole weekend? Uh, yeah. Kansas I mean, Kansas has been one. kind of a Kansas. rivalry, I guess a budding rivalry. Them. You guys are trading know. wins and big matches against each other. Yeah. Especially down in Lawrence. You guys seem to always play for something down in Lawrence. Yeah. Hopefully they'll put you guys in the fog, maybe. No? No. <laughs> I get it. Fog Allen Fieldhouse? I don't know. Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah. I don't think cool. you've played there, has she? No. Yeah, you were in Topeka the first. No, that was the year before you got here. Yeah, you haven't played in the fog yet. Maybe they'll put you there, though. Yeah, that'd be really neat. But that gym is cool because it's so loud in there. It was really loud. Is that probably the loudest match you guys have? Maybe Texas, I guess, was pretty loud, too. Mm-hmm. In Texas, but... Kansas yeah. State was so loud, too. Really? K-State was so loud. Not as loud as Kansas. I just remember Kansas State being a miserable experience altogether. <laughs> well, it was loud, and it was miserable, so maybe that just made it together. And uh, you're ending your non-conference down in everybody's favorite, every Creighton person's favorite place to go to you know where you're Wichita going. State? Yeah, good job. Thank you. We've heard about it. You're playing Wichita State, Iowa State, <laughs> down in Wichita, where everybody hates everything blue. Evidently. So. Yeah, and we lost to them last year. Yes, you did. Oh, that was a bad one, too. Yes. That was worse than losing to K-State. But, 
Yeah, they're again, they're another small little team that's gonna bite you in the butt if you don't take them seriously. They won the MCC, didn't they, last year? Did they? Yeah. Rob says yes. Yeah, Rob's here to nod and give us yeah, correct everybody. Um, well, I mean, losing to Wichita State, that obviously doesn't have the same meaning to you guys because you guys weren't in the Valley before you No, got but here, we hear the hype. You do. We know you? it was real. Yeah. We know there was some crazy rivalry. Lauren Smith brought it back. Brought yeah, we had Lauren Smith around, so she knew. Um, I'm wondering what you think of you and I. That match is going to be kind of interesting because of the relationship Kirsten and uh, their head coach, Bobby Peterson, have. Do you know Bobby well? And I mean, what do you think of her as a head coach and, you know, kind of the relationship her and Kirsten have, even though they say they're best friends off the court, but really, they, didn't, they didn't look at each other at all yeah. in that NCAA tournament match, so you can clearly see they're both really competitive. Yeah, they're both really competitive, yeah. but the relationship they have is really cool. It is cool. I remember when we went to UNI, we got like a really, what do you call it, like the grand treatment. The grand treatment, yeah. yeah. No, I like Bobby a lot. I know her like pretty well, actually. Um, and I know a lot of the UNI girls just because a lot of them are from Iowa. And, and Mariah Johnson is going there this year. Yeah, we've so been, there's a girl neat. from Ankeny that's played with her. Transferred at semester, right? It's just like an athletic facility so. in the city. That <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Some decent volleyball teams. Uh, then, then you get into the Big East, obviously after that, and your tenure of playing in the Big East. You were twenty-nine and one combined in your two <laughs> years. So, and the one match you lost was a five-setter at Villanova. With so, bad line. You remember it? Oh, I so, remember the last okay. point vividly. <laughs> So it's, so it's easier to remember when you only have one of those losses. But, I mean, you won 28 straight in the Big East. You swept 21 of those matches. I mean, what's – I mean, you're going into that almost like anything we do that's close or not dominant is going to look poorly on Creighton. How do you approach mm-hmm. the Big East with that much – with that much already in your rearview mirror with two years still left to go, Megan free, yeah. and still maintain that level of success? I'm still really worried about non-con first. Yeah. That's not the point of this podcast. I'm okay. We're not <laughs> Sorry. Just we, break we it down. Match match, I promise we'll tell Kirsten you said one match at a time. Just repeat Perfect. it for 45 minutes. I promise I'll tell her. <laughs> I feel like we, I mean, the Big East, like we know, like we need to be dominant because it's like, it's the springboard that gets us places in the NCAA tournament. You know, like we talk about RPI a lot. I mean, they, our coaches keep us grounded with like talking about RPI and like win percentage and that kind of stuff. And so... I mean... You're all brainwashed. Man. We are brainwashed. No, you don't Our coaches brainwashed us. The talking us. points are just coming out like it's mid-season. Like, I feel more pressure when we play teams with a bad RPI just because oh, it's yeah. so much more detrimental than losing to a really good, high-caliber right. team. Exactly. So, I'll be honest. Like, there's definitely pressure going into the Big East making sure that we win every single game. So, it's just something we have to deal with. We know it's there, and just the way we're going to handle it is going to be... Notch. Is the goal <laughs> is the goal for even like a challenge in non conference like this to be undefeated or what do you want to get out of the non conference that we just talked about as far as I mean last year you were six and six and you're like that's a five so that's a five hundred team and went to the elite eight so you want to I mean we'd love to be above yeah a lot of our uh, a lot of our ranking comes from the non con mm-hmm. just making sure that we get those good wins and don't have bad losses so I want to see a lot more of good wins. So coming out of non-con. I know we talked about goals this season for non-con, but I really don't remember what they were, honestly. Really. But above is, 500, I think. I imagine the non-conference is important because if you can get some quality wins and play here instead of 
going down to Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, the committee is still, yeah, still yeah, a goal of yours, or do you not really? Does it not? I mean, you guys have made the Sweet 16 now on the road two years in a row, but would you prefer to play here, or does it bother you either way? It's, is it still the same? No, I'd like to play here for sure. Um, but at the same time, it worked out not being ranked last year because we didn't have to face a one seed. So, like, if we get ranked, I want to be ranked high. Exactly. Because being the 16 facing the one, right you know, away. I'd rather it's be not, not ranked facing fun. the five. So, I don't know. It worked Let's out. just be ranked really high. Yeah. <laughs> just keep it simple. Right keep away. everything yeah. simple, even the answers. Uh, really good in theory. <laughs> one thing uh, that was interesting last year, you mentioned what it was like to play for Kirsten and the way she kind of – I mean, and Angie, too, because they've both been around together doing this whole thing for mm -hmm. since they got here. Fifteen years. Fifteen? Has it been fifteen? I think, yeah. Wow. She's not, yeah, she's not, not one of you anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, what's it like playing for her? What does she do to, as you put it, empower you guys to be – I say guys, I shouldn't have said guys, but I mean empower women to be strong individuals, to do everything the right way, no matter if it's off the court, on the court, when you're around the team, just having fun, what, what do you take out of her, the way she kind of leads you guys? Just the way she goes about life, first of all. Yes. It's really awesome. Getting to hear her life philosophies is something I don't take for granted. And then getting us set up to talk to different strong women around the world, that type of thing. Um, it's pretty awesome. I think, I mean... For her, like, I think even from, like, the recruiting process, like, knowing her from there, like, everything stays the same. Like, she is who she is, and she's confident in that, and just, like, she models that behavior, like, I mean, all the time. And it's just, like, she's genuinely herself, I think. And so, like, we believe her, and, like, we'll, you know, we'll do anything for her because of that, because she's built that trust with us. So all, exactly. the, all, all the reads you guys got from watching her coach before you were players, when you were just recruits or commits and things like that, that's all been pretty much as it was, pretty straight down the line. She's the same way. It's, yeah, she wasn't put on a show same. for you guys to kind of get you, like, some no coaches show. try to, like... There was no charade. If, there, if, no you're a recruit, charade. if you're a recruit and you're listening to this, it's not a charade. She's really that awesome. She really is that awesome. And it's, like, we're lucky to... I was talking to someone actually yesterday about this, and, like, we're in a very good place. Yeah, like, we're so lucky. Like, I love her so much that, like, we have girls coming in, getting recruited, that I'm never going to play with, but, like... I'm still, like, giving them the, the whole visit. pitch. I'm like, you guys, like, you have to come here. Like, it's so awesome. Like, I want to make sure that Kirsten gets the best players that, you know, that she deserves. And I don't know. Everything she does for us off the court is the reason why we win so much. Like, we want to win for her. It's, she doesn't have to yell at us. It's everything she's done for us off the court that makes us, like, play the way we do and just have the passion that we do for the game. I appreciate the uh, interview for the serious stuff. Now we're going to Hey. Now we're going to see how well you've uh, – Coach yourself on the city you're from. I'm so embarrassed boy. already. Because we came in under 45 minutes, and I said if we did that, that we were going to do Ankeny Trivia. Right. So here is round two of Ankeny Trivia with Jalen Winters and Megan Ballinger, Ankeny, Iowa natives, who didn't do so well last year on this. We should study. Um, they had a year to study. They weren't ready to study. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to give you the first one should be kind of easy, and I'm actually going to give you three of the first four answers. So you only have to come up with one. Okay. So the Des Moines-West Des Moines metro area okay. has four cities. Oh, boy. Des Moines, West Des Moines, Ankeny. We what, count? What is the fourth? We count? Yes. You're part of the metro Five? area. Five? There's four. Wait, wait, wait. We'll say, say, we'll say them again. Des Moines, Sorry. West Des Moines, Ankeny. Des Moines, 
West Des Moines, Ankeny, what is the fourth city in that metro area? My guess was Clive. My guess was Urbandale. This is fun because I was going to keep score to see who did better too. So what's your final guesses? We're going to make this competitive. I feel like we don't count. <laughs> I know, I didn't know Ankeny. I didn't count. know Ankeny. Okay, was part of it, yeah. What's your guess? I'm going for Clive. Okay, what's yours? Urbandale. One point to Megan. It is no! It is Urbandale. Yes! Dang it. Um, uh, bestplaces.net had a poll as of 2010, I think was the year uh, it voted the metro area, which included Ankeny, as one of the most secure places to live in the entire U.S., among large metro areas. Um, you're in the top five. Where do you rank? The safest place. Like in the state? Like in, this is like of, in large, the of large metro areas in the U.S. Sorry, that was a stupid question. Gosh, <laughs> my mom's gonna make fun of me again. Sorry, mom. Um, four. Okay. Three. Neither of you got it. It's two. Oh wow! Are you it's closer kidding? though. You want a point for getting closer? Yeah, that's crazy. Half a point. Half a point. All right, half a point. Uh, population growth since 2000. How much on a percentage has it increased since you guys were essentially babies? I guess. A lot. It was like the third fastest growing city in the Very country good. or something. It was the third fastest. Right, give us a Can I get a bonus point for that? Point for just saying that? <laughs> um, no bonus no, points. No bonus points. No bonus points. Because you're losing. You're you're losing. Out. I know. <laughs> you would have taken the point. Dude, I'm not going to lie. That's true. <laughs> so percentage, how much has it grown? Boy, I don't know. 67. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. It hasn't doubled, has it? Double would be 100. Double would be 100. I just feel like 58. Jaylee was close on that one. What was it? 109.3%. So it, it, has, it has more than doubled. Um, the female population as of 2010, what percentage of Ankeny, Iowa is female? Well, Ankeny's awesome, so it has to be female dominant. <laughs> You're correct. Actually, it probably is. 56%. Wow, that's really high. What's your guess? Female. 58. Ooh, even higher. Oh, 51%. So Gailey gets oh, the half. Oh, sweet. Creighton University is 60-40, if you're wondering. Yeah. Is it really 60-40? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, there's, there's no men. No. <laughs> all right, so now we have... Uh, are you guys foodies at all? This one. At me. <laughs> all right, so this is advantage Megan going to this one. But she drags me along to all the restaurants, so... So you feel like you've been doing your like homework I'm, on the side then? Yeah, okay, yeah. you're better prepared for this. Bye. Okay, so according to the TripAdvisor, there are 112 restaurants in Ankeny, Iowa. Okay. What are the top five highest or best reviewed restaurants? Uh, they're all chains. Casador's probably up no, there. No, no, no. Eiffel, the Actually, Eiffel Tower, no. Leaning Tower, Leaning Tower of Pizza. That one definitely gets great reviews. In Old Town, probably. So you guys are agreeing on this? What you guys are like? Give me your top <laughs> five, and then we'll come go on. Right can up. we collaborate? Yeah. So Megan, your top five is what? I'm just gonna copy hers. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they're all chains. I'll give you the first one. You both said the first one. Was it Leaning Tower? Yeah. Is that the nice. first one? It's number, it's number four. Oh, um, that one place. Um, <laughs> which part? <laughs> North or South? South. Uh, um, is that on Delaware? It's, it's like a pizza place. There is another pizza place. Okay, she there is, is no other pizza place? There is one there other is. pizza okay, place. Okay, okay. So this you're is on this the this right is. track. Um, it's on, what street is that? I know my streets. Like, Gosh, now that I live in Omaha, I like forget all the streets in <laughs> Ankeny. Is that your excuse this year that you've been away too long? By your high, by that high school, by your high school. Um, 
Delaware. What's on Delaware South? It starts with an F. It's four letters. Kind of. There's an apostrophe. It's a pizza place. It starts with an F. What were, you th- what were you thinking of? I still don't remember the name of it. Fongs. Nice. I was going to say Fongs. Is Jethro's, were- is Jethro's up there too? Fongs has five letters. Yeah, Jethro's. She's killing you now. That's oh, because Jethro's. it's by the new area. So, just, uh, so we got three. In my defense, we said four letters. So we have three of the five. This, see, is, actually, this is actually even, pretty these impressive. These aren't even Ankeny originals, though, because Fonks is originally from Des Moines. Yeah, that's why it is originally Fonks, from Irvine. I'm just going Moines. off what you're Because they're like I'm the, sorry, I'm really I'm going off the research I've done here. I'm sorry. They're like, wow. Yeah, Megan's got three of the five so far. There's two left. The top two, actually. No, no, no. I said the pizza place first. No, oh, did you? You said pizza. You didn't say the place. Yeah. No, I said Eiffel Tower leaning tower. Yeah, okay. I'll leave Jaylee leaning tower then. Fine. Megan's up two to one with two two spots to go. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of what area of the um, old Ankeny area. I don't spend much time there. They opened a new coffee shop though. Oh, cool. This go. one is uh, <laughs> seafood. Ew, I hate seafood. It's across the this interstate. This one's all you. It's by Outback. There's only terrible restaurants over there. It's not very good. Um, waterfront. Ooh. Yep. Oh. That's number one, actually. I've never been there. I don't That's think the highest it's very reviewed. Good. Well, highest is it reviewed. expensive? I don't know. I was like, like, That's probably why I've never been there. It is. It's number it's like one. It's like sushi in Iowa, so it's like not good. You know? And the other yeah. one is a bakery, and bakery's in the name. Uh, Scratch? Uh, no, no, that's in West Point. Oh. Main Street, bakery oh and cafe. God. I've never even heard. It's by my house. If we would have done Omaha, no, I still would have lost. All right. So for the record, Megan killed Jaylee in the Ankeny trivia. Wait, that was it. That's it. That was that was a long five guesses right there. I'm more of a finish strong person. I we had more to go. Uh, so Megan got the foodies. She's clearly the foodie. She lived in Seattle pretty good. Big time. Big time. Uh, I appreciate taking your time out of your summer. What very few of it is left uh, to sit down and chat. Sorry that you didn't do very well in Ankeny Trivia again. It's okay. Next year, maybe third time's a charm next year. I'll study next time for next okay. year. <laughs> um, but thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for sitting down. Appreciate yeah, the interview. Thank you. Yes, time. thank you. Thanks Good for luck in a few weeks. Thank you.